0: month, the news of the day has been dominated by two big stories, COVID and Ukraine. In Ukraine, images of women and children fleeing conflict flood our TVs. It's hard to escape the steady stream of wartime images, the harrowing stories of maternity hospitals being bombed, of babies and of kids and teens, mothers and grandmothers in need, while the men stay back to fight the war. And if we as adults can't escape it, It's pretty safe to assume that it has reached our children also, even if they haven't mentioned. This episode of All Good in the Motherhood focuses on how to speak to your child about what's happening overseas, how to approach it, what to say, when to say it, how to put things into perspective without creating new problems along the way. This episode stems from me attempting to talk to my four-year-old about the war It didn't go well, so I enlisted the help of child psychologist, Dr. Cynthia Nixon. She's the senior clinical director at the Child Mind Institute's Autism Center. We begin our conversation with me discussing my mom fail. This is All Good in the Motherhood with Teresa Priolo.
1: You know, as parents, I think we all find ourselves in situations where we know that we're gonna have to distill some information for our kids, where we're gonna have to take adult topics and boil it down. Uh, But I don't think any of us are fully prepared for the moment when it hits us, because it usually does not come in a moment of calm or peace or at a time where you can collect your thoughts. It's just rapid fire. At least that's what happened for me. So with everything that was occurring or or everything that is occurring in Ukraine, uh, I decided that we would go and buy some supplies at the supermarket and the dollar store. I thought this would be a really nice way to get my four year old involved. I'll let him clear out the shelves of Band-Aids and diapers and all those sorts of things. And then we'll take it to a local Ukrainian church. Here I'm thinking, like, I am winning at this, you know, teach your kids responsibility and, you know, the the importance of being a global citizen. And then we get to the church and there are pictures everywhere of children who are Ukrainian. And everybody there was so kind and they were talking to us about the need to help. And then the question started. And I just did not have a good answer. And it, I, I bumbled the entire thing. I mean, I started talking about Spider-Man, and I don't know. And so, at some point, there were good guys and bad guys, and I thought, oh, this isn't good because Russians aren't bad, but there is a bad man involved, yeah. and it just did not go well. So the, the it ended with my son saying to me, "But mommy, why can't Spider-Man help?" Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah. um, "Well." because he can't. And that's where it ended. (laughs) He can't. I said, I'll get back to you as to why. And then he, he turned to me and goes, Hmm, is it because he's in a TV show? And I said, yes, that's
2: exactly why. Oh, good. (laughs) good (laughs) No, so first I want to say it's, so what you did to set up that, that type of agency to get your child involved and to get him doing something, doing something purposeful and something that can really help is huge. So, absolutely. So when you were feeling like the rock star mom and you had all of the things there, that's great. Then all of those questions that he was asking are also great because that's showing that he's absorbing everything that you're doing. And he was looking around and understanding the gravity of the situation. Uh, And now what's so sweet with really young kids is their questions, they can be big questions but there's also so much innocence behind them. Because something like in their world, they see Spider-Man saves saves people spider-man makes things better young kids especially preschool and kindergarten age kids they really understand right from wrong and they really understand that people shouldn't do things that are mean to other people and shouldn't do things that hurt other people and so the idea for a young child of thinking that adults who adults would do things that are mean or that would hurt other people just seems unfathomable so that's where a lot of those questions are likely coming from as well, is to try and to, to understand how is this possible? How can adults make these kinds of decisions? Um, one thing that I find really helpful for these really, really young kids is to <clears throat> make it really simple for them like that, of letting them know that this is really an adult problem. And adults also make poor decisions sometimes. And not all, sometimes adults are going to make decisions that hurt other people, and that's not right. And that's something that young kids can start to, it's going to bring more questions, but they can, they will, that will resonate with them. So
1: at what age is it appropriate to start giving them this information? Because one of the things that I fear, and I'm sure a lot of parents do, is that in this age where they have access, I mean, I don't care if you are two and three, or if you're 13, 14, you have access to imagery, to to conversations that maybe we could have been more sheltered from when we were younger. Although I do remember, you know, growing up, I do remember hearing about certain conflicts, but I did very much feel a distance. You know, as we bring it into the school conversation, in some ways, I think this is wonderful because it, again, teaches them that idea that we are all connected and that we should help those, even those that we haven't met. But on the other hand, I'm thinking, kids be kids, please, let's just, you know, let's not, worry them because we don't know how these kids are internalizing all of this.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a good point. And I think the, the challenge now as seen, I've seen cohorts of toddler and preschoolers for more than 20 years now, and it's changed. It's changed a lot. What kids are exposed to and the availability of information and um, just how Things are brought up in schools, maybe without a lot of parent input and support, um, kids are going to be, they're just more exposed to these things in ways that they weren't in the past. And because I don't think we can change that in the systems that exist, I think kids are going to, they're going to hear about things from other kids. They're going to walk down the street and see something on a screen, or they're going to hear about something from school if they don't hear their parents talking about it then that's where the confusion will come in.
1: So you're actually and, doing a
2: lot of good by addressing it. Yeah. Is yeah. there yeah. a time of sense of things that they're already being exposed to?
1: I don't know about you and your household, but for me, these, these questions and these conversations though do seem to happen at the most inopportune time. It is yeah. right before bed. It is in a moment of chaos and, I don't know why that is. I don't know if that's the universe just poking me or what, but it just seems as though these never happen in a moment of calm where I do have the chance to collect my thoughts. And I can't imagine the only parent that says that, which then leads to a situation where maybe you don't explain the situation the way that you want to, or the best way for your child.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think kids are just primed to bring them up at the worst times and I don't actually I don't actually know why but uh, they do bedtime does seem to be a really common time that kids will bring things up I think because that is also a time that they are reconnecting with their parent after a long day there's less stimulation things are settling down and so they are thinking about more and they might want to avoid avoid bedtime a little bit as well so there can also be a, a couple a couple of things going on but I do think it's normal for them to bring them up at the worst time. I mean, something like when you're trying to juggle five different things and get through a checkout or get shuffled kids from point A to point B or get out the door is often when they'll have these moments of asking these really big questions. And it doesn't, it might not be the right time to talk about it though. And that's something too, that young kids can be really receptive to. They just need to know that their parent is available to talk about it. So when they're bringing something up, there's kind of a framework that you can follow of thinking about validating the child's emotion that's behind it so if they look upset or if they look confused validating that and and saying wow you're asking a really big question it seems like that question is making you feel whatever it looks like it's making them feel nervous confused scared and then asking your child is that how it's making you feel or something else So that then the child has the opportunity to say, oh, yeah, I am worried about this. Or maybe they're not worried about it. They're just kind of interested or curious and they're seeking more information. So it gives them a, a quick moment to answer, have the validation and answer what emotion is behind that. And then young kids really are often asking things in a way that they are trying to understand the safety. Behind it. So, are they safe? Is there any immediate risk to them? Young kids are going to naturally be very egocentric. So, they're going to think about things in terms of how it affects them. So, even though we know a war that's going on is in another country and that's quite far away to a young child, that could be across the street. They're not going to have that same understanding that it is something that's further away. So another piece is validating or reassuring safety if that seems to be something that they're asking about. And then just letting them know that it's a really good question and you want to talk about it later. And you can say it's a good question and that's a really big question. And mommy or daddy, I want to think about that a little bit so that I give you really good answers. Do you want to talk about it tonight after school or do you want to do it right before bedtime? So give the child that time and place of when you're going to come back to the conversation. So then it also gives you a little bit more time to think about how you want to navigate it with them and how you want to relay the information and also ask them more questions to figure out what's underlying what they're asking.
1: That is such smart advice, especially from the, selfishly from the parent perspective, the delay tactic of give yourself a minute to process the question, because you, 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 you hit the nail on the head when you, when you said, you know, they don't understand the difference between a world away and across the street. I mean, I noticed that we are a household that always has news on, obviously, because that's what mommy does. And so I often think to myself, these images of, uh, you know, women and children from a maternity ward or children crossing the border or hearing stories of little kids with the numbers written on their hands because they're, I mean, try as we might to keep them away from it. You just can't. And I cannot imagine that there is any kid that is listening to that, that is not thinking, but what if, or will, will my mommy need to do that to me? Or will my daddy have to do it? Or will my daddy go fight in this war? You know, and, and, and that's, I'm speaking from a perspective, we're not Ukrainian. You know, A, we're not in Europe and B, we're not Ukrainian. We don't know anybody directly that has family that is immediately connected to this crisis. I have to imagine that for those children, the, the, the anxiety is heightened tenfold, if
2: that. Yeah, yeah, it's really hard. And it's, yeah, I mean, you're hitting on all of the points that absolutely kids are picking up on. They're wondering the what if, is this gonna happen? is this going to happen to me? And I think that the, especially with young kids, what's really important is that we don't normalize war. So we want to, we don't want to, um, sometimes when we think about that, minimizing it because we don't want the child to worry or be scared. We also broach on this side of potentially making it sound like, oh, these are things that happen all of the time. So we don't want to do that. We do want to give kids clear answers that this is, this is not right. This is not how we treat one another. This is not how we solve problems. There are things in the world that are happening right now to people that is not fair. And um, then what you want to try to do, though, is turn it to what can we do to try to help and support, while at the same time having the child think about how, how will this potentially change or impact their life right now? And if there's not any immediate change to that child's life right now, then you just go, go through that with, with them, that this is something that uh, it's not happening where we live right now and we're safe. We have a government that's keeping us safe. They're also where this war and this crisis is happening. There are lots of people around the world who are trying to help and trying to get the people who are making these decisions to stop. So we have lots of people in the world who are being helpers here. Um,
1: Sorry, go ahead. Do do we run the risk? And I I think about this a lot, especially since my son is in a school where uh, we like to celebrate everybody's differences. We like to celebrate everybody's cultures. Uh, I don't know if there's any kids who are Russian in his school, but there very well could be. And especially in the New York City area where our, our schools are so multicultural. I found myself feeling like I was putting my foot in my mouth when I said, well, there's these two groups of people and one's bad and one's good. And I I stopped myself because I was like, I don't want him to think that Russians are bad. And now he's four. So he's hopefully he won't think that, but I was struggling to to, to explain to him that the people are not the government, (laughs) you know, that, that, that one man with with an axe to grind or many axes to grind is not the same as an entire country of people and i would hate for him to ever take those words and then in some way even innocently project them onto other people who may actually be russian and be wonderful and have nothing to do with putin or any of his you know so his sinister intent so do we run the risk of um creating a, an issue out of what we don't intend to be an issue when we do the bad guy
2: good guy thing oh sure absolutely i think you can do that but just in a way that doesn't assign a a race or a nationality to it um because good and bad kids are going to understand really well and in these really young ages they think also though in that very black and white way so if they are told that that the bad is coming from anything from people who wear green shirts or whatever it is whatever Is tagged with that. It will just be within their natural cognitive skill set to then say, "Okay, so these are the this this is the thing, or this is what goes with that." That and that's just where they are uh, cognitively in their development. They don't have the uh, the cognitive abilities yet to have the more abstract and subtleties and exceptions and really understanding things in more of a broad and diverse way. So, um. Keeping it more about bad and good, but it just being adults, adults, adults do not always make the right decisions. And sometimes there are adults who make decisions that can hurt other people. And this is, this is what's going on there. And then you can look, make it back to that child's immediate life. You know, let's look in your life. Do we have adults right now that are making bad decisions? And then you want to explain what do you mean by bad? Um, bad means decisions that are hurting other people, physically hurting other people. And then you go and go through the adults in in your life. No, we don't have. There are no adults in our life that are making decisions that would hurt other people. and that's that's the appropriate thing to do. We should be kind and respectful of others and then talking about what that means. Um, and then young kids, there's they it's again this, all of the as adults we recognize all of the complexities in a different way of race and culture and ethnicity and different nationalities and but it's it's really complex and really young kids just aren't going to be there yet for those kinds of discussions older kids though teens potentially older school age kids into teens they can have more of those complex conversations. And that would be an appropriate conversation to also bring up with them because teenagers who they are also going to be very much at risk of saying, okay, the bad guys are the Russians. So I'm going to, I don't want to have anything to do with anybody Russian, or I meet somebody Russian, I'm going to immediately say something uh, related to them potentially having some kind of involvement or support around this. And so that is a conversation that they need to be having with their parents because that wouldn't be something that's appropriate. But they are still going to be primed to have those kind of biases. Yeah,
1: you know, it, we were talking about toddlers, but you're right. I mean, look, when we talk about young adolescents and then also teenagers, I mean, this conversation can span, uh, you know, such a wide age range. I often think to myself, well, does a teenager really need mom and dad sitting down explaining what they can see on the news? But maybe they do. Like, Maybe, maybe we sometimes, I don't know if we, maybe giving them too much credit is the wrong way of putting it, but maybe we expect that they, that they know too much already. And so there's nothing that I'm, we're going to add to the conversation, but I'd imagine having a, a, a trusted boy, it's like a mom, or dad, or somebody in their life sit down and be like, Hey, are you worried about, because also I think to myself, Yes, the fighting and the conflict is one thing, but so many American families are seeing the economic impact trickle down from gas prices, the price of goods and services go up. And I think that that also has to weigh, especially on your preteen teenagers who are a bit more aware of what is happening within the family.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And they do, the the hard part about teens is they can look so able and so mature and so adult-like in so many ways, but, their frontal lobes are just not developed yet. They're not fully developed. So we know that the their emotional reasoning, their ability to inhibit impulses, it's not going to be there in the same way as somebody who's in their 20s or 30s. And so they can look very much like they're fine and they understand it and this is no big deal. They might be more minimizing of of things, but um, the tricky part about teens is they have so much of a private life online too, and we don't know what's, what information is being funneled in there. Um, even if families or parents are monitoring it, it's hard to know it, everything that the child is doing and everything that they're picking up on and how that's impacting them. And so that can really go silent and fly under the radar if um, they're not having kind of set time and place to have some of those conversations with their parent. And teens can be harder because they often teens don't really enjoy those conversations with parents. They might be more like, no, this is not a big deal. I don't want to talk about it. But even if you get shut out by your teen, letting them know, hey, this is going on. I'm here to talk about it if you want to talk about it. And then periodically bringing it up lets them know that the door is open. So you're there to help them through it, answer questions or talk about it if they see something that is really bothering them or if there are conversations online that get to a point that they feel like, you know what, I can't manage this anymore and I am getting bothered by this and I would like to talk to somebody. Uh,
1: What does anxiety look like in a toddler, in in a uh, a kid that's but a young kid in between i was going to say uh, a preteen but a preteen is a preteen <laughs> you know the the preteen preteen and then also a teenager so just take us through like wh- if 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 you th- believe that your child might be having a hard time processing the news of the day and what's happening what does that normally look like i mean is it bedwetting for a toddler is it uh you know picking at scabs on their skin i mean what what what's the what is the range of what we should be attuned to?
2: Oh, sure. So it will, what you're thinking about is it can look a lot different depending on the child's age. So young kids will often get really clingy and you'll notice a, an increase. You'll notice a change in the clinginess. And then you can see an increase in tantrums um, or increase in needing things to be done a certain way. And then if you don't do it that way, they're really upset by it. Um, they can get more bothered by minor kinds of changes that previously didn't bother them. So maybe uh, they they know that pickup can be babysitter or mom or mom or dad or who, whomever is within their normal set of uh, caregivers who pick them up, and then all of a sudden they're getting really upset if it's not one specific person. You know, maybe they want they really want dad to pick them up or mom or is it? They're upset if it's not who they want. And you're getting really big kind of tantrums and meltdowns. Um, You can also see sleep disturbances. So kids who are, they're waking up more at night or they're having a harder time falling asleep on their own. And they previously did fall asleep on their own. And now they're coming into your room a lot or bedtime is starting to become much more prolonged. Um, And then you can just see a lot of kids following, young kids following their parents around a bit not wanting to be in a room alone, following the parent when they go into another place and um, just generally being more kind of upset and irritable.
1: All right, I think the the only last thing I wanted to ask you about, because I know that it is a specialty of yours, is if you have a child with special needs, um, I know that you do, a, a ton of work in the um, with kids on the spectrum so if you have a child with special needs um, obviously the conversation has to be I would imagine very different or am, am I wrong does it really not have to be that different for them or w- what would you suggest is the best way to sort of approach this if you have I mean I, again I know it's such a broad brush because we have kids of all different abilities um, who process things differently but if we could impart some wisdom what could we tell them
2: yeah, absolutely. So it does, it, there will be a lot of variability, but I would say in general, one thing that I find a bit more with children who have neurodevelopmental differences is that they can get a little bit more perseverative on topics or a little bit more insistent on seeking certain things out that then actually have a negative impact on them. So parents tend to have to be a slightly more proactive with setting boundaries around access to certain types of information and having time in place for things and really having those things set out in the schedule so a child might need a bit more of a limit around what we're not talking about where this is not in the morning when we're having breakfast this isn't the time that we're going to talk about ukraine or this isn't the time that we're going to talk about war and then redirecting them, maybe using a schedule or a visual support to say, here are the things we're going to do. And then you have great questions about this. We're going to save this until this time on the day. So just making it a little bit more structured, a little bit more concrete, and just being mindful of how a child who might have a bit more tendency to over-focus on certain on um, certain aspects of the information, how they might need more boundaries around that so that they don't spin themselves or get themselves in this place, which happens to all of us, but they can be a bit more vulnerable for, of getting into this place of what I call being in the rocking chair, where you can put a ton of energy into rocking in a rocking chair all day, but you're not going to get anywhere. So you're using all of this energy in a way that doesn't really make you feel better. And it doesn't give you anything constructive to really do to be a helper. So we wanna be mindful of not um, getting kids into that, that place and kids with special needs or who are or have more neurodivergent in their thinking can be more at risk for that.
1: Dr. Cynthia Martin, thank you so much for all of your help. I mean, the only thing we didn't answer is why Spider-Man really can't help here and where is the Hulk? Uh, that, that's, the, that's the pressing question and we need to figure that out because I do think that they could make an impact
2: yeah. if, they were, if they were to find a way to get on scene. Yeah, I think that's amazing that your son said that. And I think that the, it sounds like even though you felt like the conversation was really coming at you, I actually think it sounds like you handled it amazingly because if at the end your child said Spider-Man and Hulk can help, he was really thinking about, you know what? They could help. And then he realized, wait, they're on TV. They're pretend. They can't really help us, but they could fix it. And I would just keep that going with him, like, yeah, we we need a Spider-Man, we need a Hulk. We don't have those superpowers, but you can use it as a springboard to what do we have? Who are our helpers? And then help going from there of looking for those real world helpers, because they do exist. But I'm going to keep vying for the Hulk and Spider-Man as well. <laughs> yeah, not Green Gobby. He can't do anything. I have been very, I, uh, that, that <laughs> has been explained to
0: me, not Green Gobby. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Thank Be you. A big thank you to Dr. Cynthia Nixon at the Child Mind Institute. And also, big thanks to you for stopping by. This is All Good in the Motherhood with Teresa Priolo.